My message today is entitled, A Lesson in Persistence. I want to begin by telling a story. Um, I've learned to be humble. Sometimes my wife thinks I'm too humble. What I mean is I tell stories of how stupid I am all the time. And she says, most people don't tell things about themselves like that. First year we were up here, we were coming back. We had visited someone in uh, Traverse City. And we were coming back down Military Road. We were just driving down along the road, and we just kind of looking at all the sights. And we just kind of, out of our peripheral, we saw a, a yellow warning sign in the, in the middle of the woods. And there's a, never, a sign we never saw before. And we just kind of glanced at it and just kept on going. And neither one of us said something. And we just kind of, like this. And we didn't say it. And it was like about 15 or 20 seconds passed. And finally Nancy turned to me and she said, did that sign really just say warning, bombing ahead? And I said, that's not the funny part. I said, hmm, I guess that makes more sense than what I was thinking. She said, what were you thinking? I said, I thought it said, warning, barber ahead. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be funny. I really looked with the quick, the, you know, you see the letters in there and you kind of put in your head and I'm, why? What do they do up here in Roscommon? What do the barbers do? Well, it turns out we, as we laughed about it, that um, you know, we both made a guess of what made sense to us, but it turns out several months later we passed it again and we've seen these signs around. It actually says, warning, barrier ahead. Neither one of us was right. We still argue about which we think which one was closer. I tell that story to illustrate how many people try to interpret the Word of God. They take a quick surface glance at it and come up with whatever they think it means. They make guesses based on what it looks like or what it sounds like from their perspective. Few people stop to ask God what it means. So I could, we could have turned around and said, oh, that's what it means. Of course, I wouldn't be up here telling that story if I did that. But few people with the Word of God, they, they don't stop to ask God what the Word means. Few people go back to it and study it in depth. That's required. In light of the original context and in light of the cultural context, few people use the entire Bible to interpret the Bible, although that's what God intends us to do. Yet it is the Holy Spirit who gives us revelation to understand the Word of God. No matter how smart you are, you cannot achieve that mental ascent to understand the Word of God apart from the Holy Spirit. He is the one that enlightens our understanding, as the Bible says. But we need to take time to ask Him and then wait for Him to speak to us so that He can lead us on a journey of understanding to apply it to our lives. However, many people often, when there's difficult passages, they either harshly judge them and they say the Bible's out of date, or your God is this, or Jesus is this. Or a lot of teachers, a lot of Bible teachers and preachers will just say, 
gosh, that's very controversial and I don't want to upset people. So I'm just going to skip that passage. And I'll teach on their stuff. That happens quite a bit often. But this is not good practice. Why? Because it discounts God and His Word. Let me bring you to a truth that's in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice that it says all Scripture. All Scripture. Not just the parts that you agree with, not just the parts that you think are not controversial. It says all Scripture. If you say that you truly love God and believe God at His Word, then how can you pick apart His Word and choose to only follow teachings that you like? It's happening all over the place right now. It's happening in different churches. Well, that part is archaic and that doesn't make sense and truth evolves and I'm going to pick this and I'm just going to, I'm not going to talk about that because it's controversial. That's not what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. That's a follower of self if you are picking what's right and what's wrong. But that is exactly what continues to happen as time goes on. People who are led more by their flesh, or they're led more by the fear of what others might think, are quick to bash the Word of God, refusing to take it as one unified document of truth. Galatians 1.10 says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We cannot serve both man and God on equal playing fields. People that fear others more than God are the ones who only talk about things that advance their own agenda or their standing in the world or with others. It is impossible to be a servant of Christ when you give more weight to the opinions of man than to the truth of God. If people would simply take the time and ask the Holy Spirit to lead them on a journey of understanding, they would realize the powerful truths that are, are contained in all of Scripture. And they're hidden in each and every teaching if we would take the time to ask the Holy Spirit for the understanding. But it takes time. And it takes effort. And many of you know as the world advances, People don't like to give effort. The great resignation, people leaving all their jobs. Nancy and I talk about this. How can there be businesses that have to close down because there's no jobs? What happened to all the people? How can, how can they just not exist anymore? They're all there, but it's just, just this thought, I'm gonna, I don't need to give effort. I'm just gonna receive what's entailed to me. I don't need to give effort. But the same thing is true in the Bible. It takes time to seek God. It takes time to pour through the Scriptures. It takes time and prayer on your knees. All those things take time and God is saying, we need to seek Him. So let me repeat this again. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All Scripture. All Scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. 
This means that in order to truly be a servant of God, we need to walk in His righteousness, not ours. Now understand, the reason why there's teaching and correcting and rebuking is we're trying to change our flesh or our sinful nature to become more like Jesus. So we need to correct because we're naturally going to go off the trail. We need to correct because we're trying to understand and fully receive His righteousness because that is what we walk in. This requires us to be taught new things, to be rebuked when we're off, and to be corrected when our understanding or our words or our behaviors are counter to God's will. That's what it means. People that don't like to be corrected and people that don't like change and people that don't like to be taught something different are not open to being a Christian. Because Christian says, I'm going to take your life and I love you exactly as you are, but I'm going to change you to become more like Jesus. It takes correction of our flesh so that we can give birth to our spirit to become more like Him. And His Word states that this is all part of training instituted by God. Why? To prepare us for every good work that God has for us. But we have to be submitted to God and to the Holy Spirit in the process first. So I ask you, are you ready? Because today we're going to delve into a section of the Bible that on the surface sounds controversial. On the surface it sounds harsh and it sounds exclusive. And this is one of those teachings that people often don't talk about because, gosh, that sounds it might offend people. It tells all these things when it sounds harsh or exclusive or judgmental. Those are all the things that people say about something that they don't understand or they don't take the time to understand or understand the heart of the matter from the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to study an event in Jesus' earthly ministry as he walked the northern area of the Promised Land and passed by a woman from Sidon. I want to begin Matthew 15:21 says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So many people, when they're reading, they, they read right past these important details, and they get, I'm going to get to the meat. And they miss the whole cultural context of what's going on. They read right past this introductory sentence without considering any of the cultural context of what is happening and why it is happening. Listen, Jesus traveled with his disciples to the surrounding areas, not just in Jerusalem, but the surrounding and the Galilean region. He traveled to all the surrounding areas in the hopes of sharing his message and in the hopes of correcting false teachers and many of the religious leaders of that time. Tyre and Sidon were cities that were much further north, towards close to the Mediterranean, and they're actually in present-day Lebanon. They are cities much further north of Jerusalem, But before we move on with this passage, let me share some history of Sidon with the hopes that it will prevent you from being judgmental like many people are so that you understand what's happening. Sidon was located on the boundaries given to the tribe of Asher. So if you remember Israel or Jacob, God had the tribes and they gave all the land of the promised land to them. And God said, I want you to go into the promised land of Canaan and conquer the people because I've given the people into your hand and conquer the people because I've given you this land. And so the Sidon was in the, was the land that was given to Asher. But Asher never controlled it. The tribe of Asher never conquered the people. They never controlled it. And due to Israel's failure to completely abolish the Canaanites 
as God instructed them, there were consequences because they didn't take the land. God told the Israelites to go into Canaan and conquer the people because God had said this is the promised land because you've been faithful to the covenants. This was the promised land that God had entrusted to those people who uh, trusted him. But the Israelites did not follow God's commands. They did not drive the people out of Sidon inside Canaan. And as a result, people of Sidon eventually coexisted with the Israelites, even though the people in Canaan worshipped false gods, even though they worshipped idols. God was saying, you need to drive that out from your midst, else you will get messed up. Messed up. You will be tempted. You may be tempted to pull away from me. And so God said, drive them out, but they didn't. Well, there was a lot of things that happened in Canaan and even in Sidon. In fact, the wicked queen Jezebel was from Sidon. She married King Ahab and caused Israel a lot of trouble. Also, Elijah spent time in cities around Sidon where he visited a widow and the Lord miraculously provided oil and flour that happened in that area during a famine. Later, when the widow's son became ill, Elijah performed a miracle and raised that son from the dead. So even though these people in these areas did not follow the Lord, and even though they worshipped idols, they knew of God's power and His ability to perform miracles. So understand that context when we begin. With this in mind, it helps us to understand what's about to happen and how we can reasonably expect people to respond when these things happen. Matthew 15:22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So the first thing we see is that this woman from Canaan, who traditionally did not follow God, the people, she comes out and she approaches Jesus by humbling herself. She didn't show signs of entitlement. She didn't say, I deserve to be here in your presence. She didn't say, you need to heal me or to heal my daughter. She knew her own people had rejected God. That's why she began by calling out for mercy. This, in fact, is how we all should approach God, with humility. Understanding that we are not just coming to see Jesus, we're coming before a holy God. Now, we serve a God of compassion, but we also are all sinners in need of His grace, in need of His forgiveness, and in need of His love. Verse 23, first part. So she cries out, and then it says, But Jesus answered her not a word. Here we go with the beginning of the controversy and all the naysayers criticizing Jesus. Believe me, as I studied this week, I couldn't believe what is out there on the Internet on, on these Scripture verses. Some people called Jesus a bigot, called Jesus a racist. If you don't believe me, look it up online. People who have no idea what is happening here have actually said that this is an example. Listen to this. They said this is an example of a Canaanite woman teaching Jesus how not to be a racist. That's what's on the Internet right now. And you know as well as I do, people take a lot what's on the Internet as truth. 
Without the Holy Spirit guiding our understanding of the Word, people come to dangerously incorrect interpretations of the Bible. So besides the cultural and the historical context that I shared, let me tell you the much larger reason why Jesus responded in the multiple ways He did in these passages. Jesus came to us as a teacher. Amen? In fact, He was the greatest teacher ever. Amen? As He traveled from town to town with His students, we know them as His disciples, He taught them in a variety of ways. A good teacher teaches in many different ways because He knows His students. Sometimes Jesus shared truth in the form of doctrine or clarifying what the law and the prophets of the Old Testament meant. Sometimes Jesus used creative analogies. We know them as parables. That were so He could visually demonstrate deeper teachings that were central to the kingdom of God. There are many times when Jesus showed His own life as an example. Like when He went into the waters where John the Baptist was baptizing people and He allowed John the Baptist to baptize Him to use His own life as an example. He also showed His disciples how to handle adversity and how to handle questions with false motives and everything that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law tried to accuse Jesus of doing. But it would, if, that's all, if that was the only way that Jesus taught, by using His own life as an example, it would be too easy for any of His disciples or even for us to say, well, you're God. Of course you're going to be able to do it. Of course you have enough strength. And of course you have enough faith. And of course you have enough grace to be able to answer and respond, right? So He couldn't always use Himself as an example. He couldn't always tell a story or give teaching this way. Remember, a good teacher uses all kinds of examples. So there are other times that Jesus allowed the experiences to unfold in order for Him to demonstrate how people should approach God. To demonstrate how the ordinary person could, should, should trust God. To demonstrate how someone should respond to Jesus. The example with this Canaanite woman was one where Jesus was teaching the virtue and the value of persistence in seeking Him. In order to teach this lesson, Jesus had to respond in the ways that He did so that His students could learn the truth and apply it to their lives and their ministries as well. you understand that? So the first time that this Canaanite woman approaches Jesus in all humility and cries out for mercy, Jesus seemingly ignores her and does not say a word. What's the lesson here for His disciples and for all of us? You see, there are times when we get no response from God and we're tempted to give up. We're praying for someone that doesn't come to pass. We're tempted to give up. There are times when we feel that we're not being heard or maybe that God doesn't even notice us. In fact, if we continue to allow our doubts to direct our thoughts and our direction and determine to, our, to determine our direction, we will begin to tell ourselves, God doesn't care about me. My problems are too small for God right now. If you've ever heard that, know that that is a lie from the enemy. And the fact that many have heard it tells you that's a lie from the enemy. It's not your own doubts. It's the enemy telling you, God doesn't care. He doesn't notice you. Your problems are too small. That's not the truth. 
The fact just may be that Jesus is trying to teach you persistence. You see, if we change our thoughts, or if we decrease our faith because we didn't get the answer that we thought we deserved, do you know what it shows? It shows that our seeking of God is conditional. Let us be persistent and unwavering in our pursuit of the One who went through Calvary for us. And He was not deterred by rejection or ignorance or indifference. May we all gain a personal revelation of all that Jesus went through to secure our eternity with Him. And in response, let us keep asking. Let us keep seeking. Let us keep knocking precisely as He commanded us to do. Since Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and His love for us is unconditional, then we need to be unconditional in our intentional pursuit of Him whether or not we get the answers that we think we need or deserve. Matthew 15.23, second part. And His disciples came and urged Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Now we see Jesus' disciples getting annoyed by this Canaanite woman. After all, the disciples with Jesus were on a mission to go to a place that the Lord told them about and directed them to go. They knew that if they lost their focus or wandered into different areas, they would not be able to meet all the people and go to all the places that Jesus needed to get to. You know, few people realize that one of the greatest and biggest challenges that Jesus faced was getting around to all the villages and the cities before being arrested and killed for offending all the religious leaders with real truth from God. If he would have just stayed in Jerusalem, it wouldn't have been a three-year ministry. It would have been a three-week ministry if he was lucky. That's why Jesus, when he healed someone, if you ever wonder why when Jesus healed a leper, he would say, don't tell anybody. It wasn't he was trying to hide it, but it's Jesus saying, if you go and tell and spread the word, people will hear about me and then they'll come after me. So he said, just be thankful to God that God healed you and, and, and don't go tell anybody. If it would have spread too quickly, he would have been crucified a lot earlier. So after his disciples complain that this Canaanite woman is pestering them with calls for help, Jesus now responds. Matthew fifteen twenty four. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Whoa. This sounds so exclusive. It sounds so rude in a surface reading of this passage. However, Jesus has to respond the same way that others like His followers have responded if He truly wants to teach His followers a genuine lesson on persistence. So in no uncertain terms, He shares that He has an agenda to follow and a will to accomplish. But remember, his main goal was not to emphasize his responses, but rather to highlight the woman's persistence in seeking him. That's where people get off track. And they want to judge Jesus for what happened. And while many are quick to get offended at Jesus' responses, notice how this Canaanite woman responded. Matthew 15.25 Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, Help me. 
Her seeking was not conditional based on how God responded to her. She didn't get offended or call him a racist. She didn't lose faith or start thinking that she didn't deserve God's blessing. In fact, she sought him even more and showed him even more reverence and devotion. She didn't draw back. On the contrary, she pressed in and worshipped Him. She called Him Lord, which means Master. And she made it personal when she said, Help me. This is what Jesus was trying to teach His disciples and all of us. We can't determine our devotion to God based on whether or not we get blessed. We can't wrongly judge the Lord because we feel rejected or unheard or because we're in a difficult trial or unfair happening. On the contrary, we have to respond the exact opposite of the way our flesh wants us to respond, the way our mind tells us to respond when we're hurting or when we're upset. We have to press into Jesus all the more. We have to worship Him regardless of what we are going through. What is worship? It means I'm not going to spend time in prayer begging God to do things or telling Him my needs. I'm just going to worship and say, God, You are holy. God, You are mighty. God, You are all of. God, Your will is, is, is prominent. God, I trust You. That's what worship is. It's telling God how much we love Him. Sometimes it's done in song. It doesn't have to be done in song. It's just our heart coming into union with God and telling God we fully Trust Him. When we do this, it shows God that we trust Him implicitly. That we trust that He's for us and not against us. And that we trust that He is accomplishing something even greater in us through rejection. God's accomplishing something even greater in us through disappointment and through tragedy that we could not have learned otherwise. You all know if you've been following God for a long time that you learn so much in a time of trial or a time of tragedy because then you have to trust God to get through that trial. So God has something for all of us if we trust Him through that time. So rather than beg Him or feel like He's not answered our prayers, God, like even Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Yet will I praise Him. My, our, our praise has to be unconditional. That shows our heart bare before God that we trust our Savior. When we worship Him unconditionally, it shows God that our love is for Him is unchanging. And nothing can ever take that away from us. After all, we need to see and understand that His love for us is absolutely unconditional. You may recognize these verses. They are often read at funerals. But there's great truth in them. I want to share it here. Romans 8.35 It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Verse 38, For I am persuaded, or else I am convinced, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? 
This is one of the truths that Jesus is trying to show His students and all who follow Him. Nothing can separate us from His love for us. Nothing on earth. Nothing in the heavens. Not tragedy. Not death. Not Satan. Not no one. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if His love for us is defined as unconditional then we must be unconditional in seeking the Lord and trusting Him. That is the definition of persistence. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. And so this woman keeps seeking all the more, regardless of anything that Jesus or others reply to her. Nothing can dampen her faith. In fact, with each seeming rejection and with each seeming uh, rejection of her cries, she gets even more bolder in seeking the Lord. Matthew fifteen twenty six. But Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Wow. Talk about feeling inferior. This woman knows that her people have traditionally rejected God and followed after false gods. But now she is being compared to a little dog for taking what seemingly only belongs to the children of Israel. It would be so easy to look at this from our own perspective and feel judged because, for this woman to feel judged because she was an outsider. It would be easy to call Jesus a bigot and a racist because she felt unloved and uncared for because she wasn't part of the chosen. It would be so easy for her to walk away in anger and say negative things about Jesus, but she did none of those things. Did you ever notice that people get offended for you even when you're not offended? Yeah, that's the sinful nature of people. She didn't react in any of those ways. She pressed into Jesus even more and became even more bold in her faithful response. Verse 27, And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What a response as she pressed into the Lord unconditionally. Her persistence was unshakable. Her faith was completely unconditional. She never swerved from her purpose in seeking God. She was not deterred by indifference or by rejection. She didn't care what anyone else thought about her. She did not give up, even though she didn't get the attention or the answer that she thought she deserved or needed. Rather, she pressed into God all the more. In fact, she worshipped Him. She acknowledged Him as Lord and boldly asked Him to have mercy on her and meet her at her need of healing her daughter. Verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I don't know if you know this, but there's only two places in Scripture where Jesus recognized someone else's faith and He called their faith great. Where He says, great is your faith. 
I will let you know in both of these instances, these were people who were not Jewish. They were not Israelites. They, they, they were not Jewish, of, of the Jewish faith. Which means, sometimes we get so caught up in our, in our laws, what we need to do in doctrine, that it gets in the way of our just true, desperate faith for God. So here we have this Canaanite woman, and God, and Jesus saw her faith and recognized his great faith. The other time was when the Roman centurion came to Jesus and said, because I'm a man of authority, if you say the word, word, say the word my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, great is your faith. I have not found this great faith, he said. He was, he was a Roman, but he understood the, the power of Jesus. And so this, here Jesus recognizes this Canaanite woman who for the years had worshipped false God, and he recognized in her, great is your faith, your daughter is healed at this very hour. He proclaimed this in front of everyone, everyone who was mocking her and, and telling her that she was annoying. She receives a request of her daughter being healed immediately. This is the truth of what Jesus is trying to teach to His disciples and to all of us. Some of you today really need to hear this message. God is saying to you, I see you. I know your pain. I notice you. I know what you are going through. I know it is unfair. And I feel your pain. I desire to hold you close. I desire to wipe every tear away from your eyes. I desire to make you like my son Jesus, but you need to trust me. The world does not have your answer. I need you to turn to me. To trust me. Even when it doesn't make sense, you will face rejection. You will face indifference. You will be misunderstood, but do not stop seeking Me, the Lord would say. I will bring you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will bring you through the pain and the tragedy in your life, but you need to make the effort to seek Me and believe Me at My Word, the Lord would say. Right now, He is pursuing you. Right now, He is speaking to you individually. Right now, He is looking for your response. Scott and Ruth, can you come up? As an ambassador of the Lord on this earth, I ask you right now, will you seek the Lord with persistence? Will you let go of the world and seek Jesus with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength? Will you trust Jesus enough to let go of your pain? of your fears, of your doubts, and of your sins, and turn to the loving hands of grace. No matter what any of us have done, forgiveness is free at the foot of the cross. No matter what amount of pain or rejection or sadness that any of us are facing right now, redemption is available at the foot of the cross. Let us all persist in seeking Him all the more. For His love is the greatest power of all. Let us all truly seek Him no matter what may happen or no matter what continues to happen around us. it, It doesn't matter. Our pressing into Him has to be unconditional. The same way He pursues us. Let us show Jesus that our love for Him is unconditional. To God be the glory forever.
and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, the ways that You teach us, using any way possible to get us to know the truth so that we can become more like You. We thank You, Lord God, that You go to the depths of our pain to rescue us and to redeem us by the power of Your Word and love and grace. Lord God, we pray right now that we would just understand the power of Your touch. That when You touch us, it cleanses us and it makes us whole. Lord God, we seek that touch from You this day. In Jesus' name.